0: Welcome to Voices of eLearning, reflecting the people living and breathing the future of education and online learning, with your host, J.W. Marshall.
1: Hello, and welcome everyone to today's podcast episode. I'm J.W. Marshall with MarketScale. And on today's episode, we've got a great guest, Ron Stefanski from Centric Learning. He is the Executive Director of Sales and Marketing. Uh, But he has been in the education technology field for quite some time. And uh, Ron, thank you so much for joining us today.
0: J.W., it's really great to be here, and I'm so pleased to be able to have a chance to share some of what we're seeing out there in the world of education.
1: And we've got a lot of ground to cover. There's no doubt about that. But before we start, if you could give our audience just a little bit of background on yourself and on Centric Learning, that'll help us kind of set the baseline.
0: Yeah, so I've been in the educational tech field for over 25 years and I first came to it um, when I was given an opportunity to launch a virtual high school for the state of Michigan. And one of the reasons why I began investigating uh, e-learning in earnestness was through a personal tragedy where um, I had a member of my family, in this case my grandmother, who was uh, killed in broad daylight. And it turned out he was killed by a 14-year-old high school dropout. And so I immediately pivoted my career and started looking at ways to use e-learning and use technology to help reach kids like this 14-year-old who, as it turned out, had been lost to the system, had left school, had no one looking out for him, and obviously Um, suffered as a consequence of that.
1: Wow, that's a powerful personal story. Thank you for sharing that. Um, Tell us a little bit about uh, your new role here at Centric Learning.
0: Yeah, so as I said, I've been in education technology for a good long while, and one of the things you learn um, when you're in my field is that there's a simple demarcation between companies out there, and it's uh, those who have tools, resources, programs that work, and those who do not, and by working, I mean engagement. Does your program meet the stringent requirement that it creates a unique, engaging learning experience for whatever student audience you're going after? Whether or not it's at-risk students, whether or not it's adults returning to school, whether or not it's adults in a corporate learning environment, or traditional uh, school students. How do we make the experience as robust as possible? How do we maintain student engagement in such a way that they're able to derive benefit from their education? And that's been the critical emphasis over the last 20 years as we've seen tools, technology and best practice uh, evolve over that time.
1: Absolutely. And so to start off, what have, have been the trends that you've seen in the last six months or so under COVID? Obviously, technology has gone from a supplement to a core, and it's been a rough transition in a lot of ways, but we've made a lot of progress. What are your key takeaways in this uh, turbulent time in education?
0: Well, I think that education, both in higher ed and in, in secondary education, we're experiencing some level of disruption because of technology, because that uh, we've learned, for example, that our current k-12 system was built for an agrarian past and for a manufacturing past and we need a new educational uh, paradigm for which for which our students can then be more successful and plug into the 21st century skills they need to compete in the workplace and so i think that's a key consideration uh, when you look at uh, covid and the impact of the pandemic on education it's been nothing short of extraordinary because it forced many teachers many school districts out of a traditional classroom and online in some cases within 72 hours and that amount of uh, revolution so you know that amount of change was spectacular and i think it's safe to say that in in certain circumstances educators teachers administrators were not ready for that they didn't have trained teachers they didn't have technology support And so, you know, God bless the many wonderful teachers out there who sprang into action and made it work. But I think what we've learned from that experience is that e-learning is here to stay. I think the second thing we've learned is that e-learning is not a teacher on a Zoom call, talking to students using the same pedagogical approach that they have over the last few decades. There's a lot of best practice that uh, arms us with resources and knowledge to transport a student into a different learning experience when they go online. Um, we don't expect adults to have an attention span that, you know, that extends more than 20 minutes. So the idea that we're going to uh, submit school age kids to to hours on a computer screen, that's that's not e-learning. And so I think the big takeaway is that we're going to advance, we're going to use this opportunity with the pandemic to advance and accelerate how we're teaching kids and how we're delivering learning. I think that's exciting. I think there's also going to be some uh, disruption in the process of doing that.
1: Absolutely. And, and you spoke about the number of hours on Zoom and, and agreed that is not something good for uh, adult learners, let alone students. Uh, have you seen sp- something that works, what are some off- options as far as uh, an hour on, an hour off? Um, are there some best practicing best practices emerging through this uh, transition?
0: JW, that's a great question, and yes, there are, and I'm blessed to be able to work with a team of people that have uh, uh, created resources to do that Centric learning. We're an e-learning company that's developed a program for instruction that's based on project-based learning. And project-based learning really changes the educational paradigm. Instead of a student, simply put, um, taking in information from a teacher and then um, responding and reporting it back to them um, and then clicking the box and saying, okay, you've learned these these facts. Project-based learning starts students off with a driving question. What is the biological basis for why COVID has spread so quickly? and the implications of for the student in answering that question uh, first and foremost are going to cross the curriculum so that answer may have in part uh, features of it that are expressed in their biology course some that are expressed in math sciences and then in um, and then in their writing as well so project based learning is a multi curricular approach to learning and it's a shift of the paradigm where the teacher's not lecturing and providing facts for students to digest. They're working as a guide on the side to support and assist and inspire curiosity out of their students. Uh, one, of the, one of the big benefits of it is that students routinely come to me and say, you know, this was way different than I expected. And it was, to be honest with you, it was a lot tougher than I expected. But, man, I got so much more out of it. Well, what that's saying to us, is that students are now taking control of their own learning in that experience. So project-based learning does an extraordinary job of bringing students into their own learning and allowing them to have voices and choices in their educational journey. Uh, And that's what makes it so powerful.
1: And I would imagine that there's an even stronger connection to real-life experiences and skills versus just reading material in a textbook. Is that a a kind of a pillar of project-based learning?
0: Absolutely, J.W., you've hit the nail on the head. You know, so much of what we need to do differently, uh, particularly in our secondary education, is to assist students in learning what they need to know, how they can think critically on their own, how they can collaborate and communicate well with others of diverse backgrounds in order to participate fully in the globally connected workforce that they're going to inhabit over the next decade. And so I think that one of the advantages of project-based learning, once again, is that it's, it's allowing students to create a journey and a pathway, and it's constantly connecting them to practical, real-life experiences. The way they demonstrate, the way they demonstrate competency is through the creation of projects. So they don't get graded on tests, which say, did you know this, 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 what date did this happen? What they're graded on is the quality of their projects, which are, um, which are part of a competency-based assessment that uses rubrics aligned to curriculum standards and, in short, allows the student to, de- to, to demonstrate their mastery of the subject area or of that question and, and all of its manifestations.
1: When it seems like maybe a classic example of that would be a robotics project uh, that gets students very excited. And once they start into the project, they quickly realize, well, I need to know some math to be able to do this. I need to know some calculus or, or things like that. And then the students want to go learn that material versus the opposite of just well, today you're going to study this for an hour, uh, even though you can't see the real you know, kind of application of it. Is that uh, also kind of an accurate assessment of project-based learning?
0: That's a, that's a perfectly uh, spot-on assessment. It's giving students an opportunity to see what skills they need based on their interests in order to do the kind of work that they want to do and that's critically important in project-based learning
1: that's great um, and we see that again in the adult workforce a shift away from uh, learning outcomes to performance outcomes right it's not what you know it's what skills you have that you can perform and demonstrate that's really making the difference
0: there's another thing to add there and that is um, the power of acceleration in learning so in our traditional system Students have seat time. They have to be in a classroom sitting in a chair or at a desk or in the class for certain periods of time over certain periods of weeks and at certain grade levels. And that doesn't allow for personalization because there may be someone in the 7th grade that should be working on material that's already being delivered in the ninth or 10th grade. There may be another student who's behind and is in the 7th grade and actually has a kindergarten reading level. What project-based learning allows us to do is accelerate learning. We don't look at a student and remediate the student. We accept the student coming into the learning experience with the skills and knowledge that they have, and we accelerate their learning forward. So a student doesn't come in frustrated or stigmatized that they've been labeled as someone who uh, needs remediation. They're simply coming in with a certain um, amalgam of experiences and learning uh, experiences that can help them advance and the the instructor in that case takes advantage of that opportunity to assess where the student is, and then they carry them forward. So many of our students at Centric uh, start out one to three grades below uh, where they should be, and by the end of the school year, they're right on track or operating ahead of where they should be for that particular age group. So that's another you know, really tremendous benefit of this approach.
1: Well, and that's kind of counterintuitive. You would think, Project based learning would be in group settings and not be individual, but really you're able to plug those students in at their individual level for the appropriate projects, as well as the projects that are going to stretch them, you know, to grow and accelerate that growth. I've never thought about that way. That's uh, that's really great.
0: Yeah. So there's just a lot of ways that we can uh, harness the technology that we have to create different learning environments for students. Uh, that make the circumstance uh, more productive and meaningful for them. One of the things that we're really excited about is that we've launched a pilot micro school this year, and that uses our technology tools, our project-based curriculum, our competency-based assessment, and and our quality community of trained, certified teachers, and puts that together in a small class setting. So we establish learning pods where students come together and are able to, um, interact in a small group setting and they have a teacher For percent- at some points of the time they're live and at other points they're online um, and it really, really enriches the experience. It provides a little bit more structure than independent learning that's supported by a teacher, uh, but we're really excited about the results that, that come from that kind of small learning pad environment.
1: Wow, and, and that's definitely been another big development here in the, the pandemic era. Um, let's think a little bit beyond, hopefully, the pandemic in the next however many months uh, or years. um, Where do you think we're going to land, if you can get your crystal ball out, uh, in the next 6 to 12 months and in the next couple of years? Obviously, online learning, e-learning is not going away. But do you think we'll kind of find a new normal that's blended? um, Or do you think some learners will really just stay with the online only?
0: I think that uh, one of the trends that I'm seeing is more of a movement toward blended learning. And we need to stop the arguments among people about which is better. I have face-to-face learning. I know that's better for my students. And e-learning is only a substitute for that. And that's not always true. I think what we have to do is look at the learner, understand and evaluate their preferred learning style, and then adapt the learning to them. I think in a blended learning environment, you're able to do that. You're able to say, OK, this, this child or this student needs more attention in this particular area this student responds to more independent exercises where I give them the directions at the outset, and then they can work independently at their own pace. And that's really where I see education going over the next few years, is from the point where we're at, which is one size fits all, to really individuated instruction and personal learning. I think that's one trend that we're gonna see. I think the second one is uh, the role of parents in the teaching Uh, An education process. It's been one thing historically for parents to get super involved as their child takes off for kindergarten first and second grade and if we look at the research by the time Students reach late middle school and high school parental engagement has dropped off. Why? Because they know what to expect. They know what their student is You know how to get them to the right class how to get them the right materials to start the school year. All those things are pretty well defined and We've seen something very, very powerfully different emerge uh, through the pandemic, and that's parents who have been struggling to reinvent their workplace inside their home and then having school age children underfoot. Now, I can't tell you the number of times I've heard from parents that have said, oh my gosh, I am on the phone trying to do work, and I can't tell you the number of times that my uh, son or daughter comes knocking on my door, knowing that I'm working, But it interrupts me because they're so bored or they're so disengaged and they just want something to do. And I think that parents, as a consequence, are seeing how their students, how their children are learning or not learning. And I think they're going to have stronger opinions and a stronger active involvement in how they set their kids up for success in a classroom or in an educational setting. So I think we're going to see more parental involvement reemerge to help Decide what's best for my, what's best for my child? Um, I think it's a terrible choice right now to be faced with a school, you know, a a super spreader event where students uh, may acquire the virus and then spread it to countless others. Or you're faced with a school district that has not had the time, resources, or ability to really transform the learning experience online. And so that's an experience that's going to not measure up. And I think we have to work with teachers, with school districts, and, and partner together in public-private partnerships to really surmount that challenge and to really improve the educational experience for everyone out there.
1: Absolutely. And I, and I couldn't agree more on the parents' side. As many of our listeners are parents, uh, it's been a tough transition. It's also been eye-opening um, to uh, the appreciation that we all should have for our teachers and the roles that they play. And uh, I think it definitely will give more uh, involvement and ownership to parents past this past uh, pandemic uh, that uh, they're going to be more involved and and not take certain things for granted, which is going to be another silver lining. uh, One of many, uh, once we get through this, Um, what do you see as the. Role of the parents in project-based learning? Can they help be facilitators, or uh, do the students are the students better off kind of working it through their on their own? Um, what have you seen as far as parent involvement?
0: Yes, absolutely. Parents can get involved, and I also see a trend toward parents setting up their own microschools, where they serve as a facilitator. They get a number of kids in a small group setting uh, together, and they and they um, purchase or acquire in a consortium the resources necessary to create their own learning pad and uh, I think we're going to see more of that because parents want their children um, to be successful we all do and um, we all bear the responsibility I might add for making sure that we have a population of well-educated children that's a that's an obligation responsibility that we all carry whether or not we have children of school age whether or not we have children that have since graduated and launched into the workplace or we don't have children at all you know one of the personal experiences that I've had you know, through uh, personal tragedy is a recognition that there are dire consequences that face us if we don't ensure that every student has access to a high-quality education. That should be table stakes across the country, across districts. Zip code should not be the determinant of whether or not you get a high-quality education in this country.
1: Absolutely agree. The, The stakes have never been higher. Um, Than right now. And, and I know there was some, some bad press. I forget which one of the, the mainstream media uh, companies had the article about uh, online learning as a big failure, you know, after the spring semester. And uh, of course, it wasn't perfect. Uh, you know, as you said, 72 hours to make some of these changes. But already it seems as though. Uh, The fall is better than it was uh, in the spring, as we would all hope. Um, Of course, there's a long way to go, um, but give us some hope as we kind of wrap up here uh, that, uh, you know, the the fall is better than the spring was. This coming spring is going to be better and uh, we're we're all going to kind of get through this and and we have to work together. Um, What are your kind of uh, hopefully positive uh, kind of thoughts moving forward here?
0: Absolutely. I couldn't be more optimistic. I see so many, you know, I want to put a plug in for all of our country's uh, best teachers out there. Uh, They are doing, you know, they're just champions for our, for our children. And I can't say enough good things about the many teachers who've put in way more hours than they're compensated for to really deliver a quality classroom experience for their kids and to really teach their kids well. And I think that's, Uh, there's cause for a lot of optimism that that's going to continue. And I think that, you know, by connecting a lot of people to e-learning, I think we're creating a community of practitioners out there that are collaborating as never before. I would really like to see us push the needle even further where you can take the digital assets that NASA has and put them together using technology that's now available to us and using, you know, um, a better pipeline of Internet uh, bandwidth to deliver a really cool virtual lab that builds us, you know, that builds the next spaceship. Or that's just one example. They have so many, there's so many digital assets available that can be redeployed in an educational setting. And I think we really, really only have our imagination um, as, the, as, the, as the barrier to really, really making uh, learning come alive for many, many more students. Uh, and students who are at different levels of, of, of success, uh, I think that we're going to see a tremendous upsurge in the number of students who are at risk that benefit from some of the tools and programs that are out there that accommodate their specific challenges and their specific learning needs. And that's what excites me, is really helping those students, um, because education ultimately uh, is, the, is the game changer uh, for students who are uh, impoverished or who may not have access to the education that most Americans take for granted.
1: And I think along those same lines, uh, we're seeing the scalability of some of our best teachers uh, that were only able to reach uh, a classroom or X amount of classrooms before uh, their digital recordings, their digital projects are now getting out there uh, to, to thousands, if not millions of of students. So I think it's uh, going to see a lot of uh, the market flooded with access that uh, students in certain zip codes didn't have before to some of this really high quality instruction. Um, and even um, younger teachers or teachers that are being asked to teach uh in uh, topic areas that maybe aren't there um, you know their expertise are going to have more and more resources out there that they're going to be maybe taking on more of a facilitator role for projects and groups or managing curriculum and uh, you know individual student growth instead of having to be the uh, the master class uh, expert on every possible uh, topic especially as the students would get older um, it's really exciting to me to see that, that kind of equity and scalability come out of this digital transformation.
0: Well, our founders, Glenn Taylor and Beth Baker, have done a stunning job of really harnessing these technology tools. And in Detroit this fall, we're going to be piloting a micro school right in the city of Detroit with one of our largest partners, the Way program. And they typically attract students who are between um, two and and five grades behind in uh, in various subject areas. And by the time they're coming through those programs, they're not only uh, getting to grade level, but they're exceeding it in many cases. And I think one of the reasons is that we uh, we have an extraordinary community of experienced, highly practiced, highly trained teachers. And I think online learning gives them an opportunity to continue to practice their profession with the benefit of all their classroom experience. And they may be teachers who no longer want to to do it full time. They may be teachers that um, don't want to be in a physical school building because they are uh, at risk and, um, and can't afford to be in a physical location with lots of people coming and going. But they still have a lot to contribute, and there are so many great teachers out there that want to make a difference with kids, and that's really what they're wired for. And, you know, I think technology and e-learning gives us an opportunity to connect those extraordinary teachers with the extraordinary students out there who may not have access, as you said, JW, to those kinds of resources.
1: And I want to add one more thing Uh, while we're uh, thanking people. The administrators usually get the brunt of what doesn't work. But I know that the administrators out there at all levels have been working uh, very hard to make this transition in the spring, in the summer, and now in the fall, and will continue to do so. Um, and it's a very tough position. There's a lot of options out there. There's going to be a lot of trial and error. And so I also want to thank those administrators for... Um, Setting aside some of the old ways of doing things, even though it may have been a requirement in recent times, um, and really uh, helping bring us into the future, empowering those teachers, keeping our students safe. Uh, I just can't say enough about uh, the role that they're playing right now. Um, They're up there with the first responders in my book.
0: Absolutely. Uh, JW, if there's a superintendent, assistant superintendent, curriculum director, or building principal listening to our podcast today, just thank you from the bottom of our hearts for the work that you're doing. Every decision that they've been making has been fraught with controversy and chaos. Um, Unfortunately, regrettably, we've politicized COVID to a certain degree, and that's made it tougher in cities where. Uh, There may be a lot of restrictions or cities where people want the restrictions uh, eliminated and they want their kids back in a face-to-face setting. So those clashes are taking place, and we have a diplomatic core of educational leaders out there that are fronting all of that. And my applause, respect, and admiration go out to all of them because I think they're really making it happen. And I think they're going to be the facilitators um, and those who usher in a new era of, of dynamic Uh, New Age teaching that really uh, performs extremely well and benefits a lot more students out there. So I, I commend them as well. I think you're spot on, JW.
1: And, and you mentioned ushering in the new era. My uh, listeners will know that uh, I'm I'm often referring to this time as the beginning of the golden age of learning, not just e-learning, but just learning. Um, and I think it's been uh, a slow build that's come all at once, and uh, and that's really exciting. There's one more uh, point that I wanted to catch earlier, and I want to circle back, and maybe we can end on this. Um, we we kind of danced around uh, the real core of. Uh, project-based learning and learning in general uh, should be to to teach our kids how to learn. And what better way to do that than through the experiences of project-based learning? But to learn those critical thinking skills, to learn what they know and don't know and how to find resources, um, I really think that that's uh, one of the most critical things at the earliest uh, ages and then continuing on through uh, formal education is not just the facts and figures, but learning how to learn, teaching students how to learn, because that's going to help empower them in the ever-changing workplace and uh, world that we're living in. Um, Maybe if you could just kind of end on that note, uh, as far as the the importance and the focus that you guys have on that aspect of learning.
0: Yeah, James, it's really clear from your comments that you're going to be a terrific parent and you're really going to celebrate um, learning with your kids. And I think that's so important and, and so cool, because I'll tell you what. Um, when you look at most children in a kindergarten class first or second grade, you see nothing but smiling faces. And in many cases, by the time you get to middle school, uh, the smile is gone. And I think that's because we have not made middle school and high school as they not as dynamic and engaging in experience. Uh, for tweens and teens out there. And I think there's so much more we can be doing, and I think the fact that parents are going to get more involved in this is going to be a great thing. And I think there's so many teachers that are that are excited now to be using these tools now that they've been, you know, they've had to learn them on their own, and that may have been uh, chaotic, but now uh, once they've been trained and, and have learned how to use many of these technology tools out there, I just think that the learning is going to, You know, that's what a great teacher does is they inspire a student who wants to learn and learns how to learn through this uh, discovery and through this journey of learning. And I think that, um, you know, I think that's where I think this is where it's all heading. And so I, I can't agree more that this is the golden age of learning.
1: Perfect. All right. Well, we'll end on that note. Ron, thank you so much for joining us today.
0: You bet. Thank you for having us on on your program, JW. Really appreciate this opportunity to share.
1: And to my audience, thank you guys for uh, joining us as well. And remember to always keep learning.